you. Beautiful worship. Uh, like Will said, my name is JT Gill, and my wife Janelle and I lead a small group here in Fairfax. And um, she is nine months pregnant right now, so if she goes into labor during the sermon, I'm just going to leave my notes up here. Will, if you can come up and finish, we'll finish strong. Thank you. Like he said, we are in the middle of a series called Living Scent, How the Good News Gets Out. And a couple weeks ago, we heard from Pastor Matthew on courageous evangelism. And last week, Hang preached on fervent prayer. This morning, we're talking about purposeful disciple-making. And again, we're looking at this specifically through the lens of living sin, or through the lens of evangelism. So the, the key question that I want to pose this morning is, how does making disciples help further the gospel? And I think you'll see pretty quickly here as we define our terms and, and dig into our text that this question is a little bit redundant. But we're going to start there. How does making disciples help further the gospel? Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. I'll have it up on the screen as well. And uh, we will read this together. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I pray that uh, it would be your words that we hear this morning, not what I have to say, but what your word teaches us in Matthew. I pray that as we look at purposeful disciple-making, we would not, as James says, be hearers of the word only, but doers also, that uh, we would take this and apply it to our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. So as I, as I was thinking about uh, discipleship and, and what it is and what it means, I think probably outside of the Bible, the best example you have of discipleship comes from, of course, Star Wars. So uh, just like Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, learning from uh, his master Qui-Gon Jinn, or we'll, I think we'll have it up on the screen, we've got Luke Skywalker learns from Obi-Wan, right? And uh, Obi-Wan tells him, you're to go to the Dagobah system, and you will learn from Master Yoda. And uh, just like his father before him, Anakin, learned from Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan learned from Qui-Gon. We have this discipleship that happens, right? And just like the Jedi are taking on Padawan learners, which is what a disciple is, it's a, a learner or a follower, and they train them in the ways of the Force, we do the same thing with the Bible, with Scripture. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we seek to take on learners and teach them in the ways of Christ, in the ways of Jesus. Now, like I just said, in our context, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. So right off the top, I just want to be clear that if you have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and his finished work on the cross, then you are a disciple. And as a natural outpouring of that understanding for his work, you should then also be seeking to make disciples. I love how John Piper puts it. He says, uh, every Christian should be helping unbelievers become believers by showing them Christ. That is making a disciple. 
And every Christian should be helping other believers grow to more and more maturity. That is making a disciple. So we'll come back to our question here. How does making disciples help further the gospel? And the answer is our big idea this morning. Purposeful disciple-making is an ongoing, intentional act of shepherding others towards Christ. An ongoing, intentional act of shepherding others towards Christ. So that's, that's kind of our background. All right, we've set the stage. Now let's dive a little bit deeper into our text in Matthew. So a little bit of context here. Uh, this is right during the middle of Jesus' ministry. He is, as you can even see in this passage, he's going out, he's proclaiming the gospel, he's teaching in synagogues, he's healing, he's doing a lot. And through all this time, he's got 12 guys, 12 disciples or apostles following him around. And uh, right after this chapter, in chapter 10, he basically commissions them, sends them out to rinse and repeat, to go out and do just as he did. So, verse 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. A few points for you to highlight this morning if you're taking notes. Point number one, disciple-making is purposeful. Probably not that much of a surprise considering the title of the sermon. But I want to be clear here because when we look at this passage in Matthew, Jesus is doing these things, the disciples are following him around right? He is discipling them. Jesus is not discipling the masses. And that's an important distinction to make, not only in the context of this passage, but also in our lives. Jesus is Messiah. He's going to do things that we maybe don't necessarily do. But there are obligations that we have as followers of Christ to do as he did. So if you look at his example He's, we've got all these action words. He went, teaching, proclaiming, healing, right? And the apostles are learning from them. He's basically showing them how to do ministry. Now, if we just took that at face value, you would say, okay, well, then you have to go and teach and proclaim and heal. And again, we have to be careful there because, as James says, not many of you should be teachers. Uh, there's a lot of us that probably are not going to be going out and healing all the time. So... Be be careful the way that you interpret this, but we are called to responsibilities as followers in Christ, and and that's what I want to pull from this text here. We look to Jesus as our example. Let's pull out the responsibilities that we have as disciples, but remember, he is God incarnate. Uh, He is Messiah. We're not going to be able to do everything that he did, uh, and that's appropriate. So there's a few implications to disciple-making is purposeful. The first is that it is proactive, right? Again, these words that that you kind of call out, these go words, he went, uh, he's teaching, he's proclaiming. I I love how it says uh, in their synagogues, he taught in their synagogues and proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. We've got an example of this. Our former senior pastor, Jeff Hohenschel, when I became a small group leader, he discipled me. And at the time, I was working in Reston Town Center. And once a month, Jeff would come out to Reston Town Center, and we would get lunch together, and we would read the Word together. We did some book studies together. Basically, he taught in my synagogue, right? He discipled me where I was. And I think that's the, the implication that we need to pull from this passage. A lot of you are doing this right now in our mentor-mentee program, right? The idea is you, you go, you get on their turf. There's a, a proactiveness to this discipleship. 
Second, second implication, he is empathetic. Second half of verse 35 says, healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus identified with them. He helped them, right? There's uh, three words in this, this text right here, all, every, and every. And in the original Greek, that is the exact same word used three times. And it means basically exactly what it says. Everything, all-encompassing. Think about what that means in the context of disease, right? This would have been leprosy, viruses, probably cancer, skin disease. I think it was easy if somebody with a skin disease coming up to Jesus and asking to be healed. There's an empathy there that we see in his character. And the physical results mirrored the good news of the message he proclaimed. In healing them, it mirrors this message of the gospel that he proclaims. Third implication, disciple-making is purposeful. That means it's proactive. It means it's empathetic. It also means it is humbling. Jesus went throughout the entirety of the region, and he served them. He easily could have pitched his uh, tent and set up camp somewhere and just drawn everybody to him, right? Set up his inbound marketing campaign. Jesus is a pretty charismatic figure. People are drawn to him. It would be very easy for him to do that, but that's not what he does. He, he goes. He gets out there. Uh, going back to my experience with Jeff, I remember the first time that we met together, we had lunch at Chipotle, and uh, I went through the line first, and, you know, I get my burrito, and then I get to the cash register, and I just went ahead and paid. And I turned to get my drink, and I remember Jeff kind of rushed up to me, and he goes, what did you just do? I was like, what do you mean? I, I paid. And he was like, dude, that is not the way this is supposed to work. And at the time, I kind of laughed it off. I didn't really think much of it. But looking back, I see what he was trying to communicate was so much bigger than simply who paid for lunch. Uh, there's a humility when it comes to disciple-making, and that's sort of a silly example. But what does that look like in your context? What does that look like in your life? Maybe it's giving of your finances, of your time. Um, maybe it's humbling yourself. Because that's what we see here. There's a, a humility that comes with disciple-making. You look at Jesus' example. In the night of the Last Supper, he washes his disciples' feet, right? That humility is very present. Second point this morning, disciple-making is an ongoing, intentional act of shepherding others. Again, verse 35, he went through all, remember that Greek word, all, all the cities and villages. This wasn't a day trip. This wasn't a, a weekend thing. You know, we'll pop out to Galilee, do a little discipleship, and then head home, be in time for dinner, right? That's not what's going on. This is an endeavor. And it's actually the second time that Matthew mentions this. If you look at Matthew 4.23, it says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Very similar language there, right? I think it's interesting that it's, Matthew takes the time to mention that more than once. This is an ongoing, intentional effort of discipleship. But remember, again, the discipleship that is happening here is between Jesus and the apostles. It's not to the masses. He's preaching to them. He's teaching them. He's proclaiming the gospel to them. But he's not discipling the masses. He's discipling his disciples. And I think there's a takeaway to notice there that there's a, a focus. There's a, a targeted few 
that Jesus wants to pour into. Throughout all of this, moving to all cities and all villages, and we're going throughout all of the region, that's happening with these 12 guys the entire time. They're seeing him, they're observing how he does things, and that's where the discipleship is happening so that they can then get it out to the masses. And I love how Jesus does this because, he, like I said, he's God incarnate. He could just disciple all of them if he wanted to, but he doesn't. He gives us a model for discipleship and how that works by pouring into a select few and then empowering and commissioning them to get the mass message out. Jesus says in verse 36, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know what sheep do without a shepherd? They wander, right? They just go wherever they want. They, they need a shepherd to kind of give them a thwack with a cane every once in a while, move them back onto the path. I've got a video here that uh, we can play. This is my daughter, Jenny. And uh, many of you know her. It doesn't seem like this is where... Oh, okay, there we go. So, um, yeah, she's wandering, right? This was about a month ago. This is what she does when she's left to her own devices. This is actually not the original video I wanted to show. The original one, she sprinted, and she was like 50 yards ahead of me in the airport, and I had to stop videoing to run and catch up with her because I was afraid she was going to get lost. But as you can see, she is harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd, right? <laughs> What's the significance of the shepherd? His work is never done. There's a, a vigilance there, a constancy. Even when the sheep are in the pen for the night and they're asleep, he's still on guard. He's still watching over them, right? For you parents, those of you who have sheep, I mean kids, uh, you can probably relate to this, right? There's a, there's a vigilance. We're in the process of potty training Jenny right now. And we did this three-day method where you basically go cold turkey and you throw away all the diapers and you just commit. And every time your kid has an accident, you just run them to the bathroom. And I have never been more vigilant and more stressed out <laughs> in my life. But just because that is over, is my work done? No. There's, there's an ongoing intentional effort that goes into that, right? And one day, Lord willing, my daughter will be potty trained. <laughs> uh, she might have kids of her own that she then trains someday. Is my job as a parent done when that task ends? No. Again, it's ongoing. It's an intentional effort. And it is a lifelong endeavor of pointing others to Christ, which is our third point this morning, and it's this. Jesus is the object of our efforts in discipleship. You find that in verse 37. Our efforts are to grow Jesus' kingdom following. But that means a couple of things. It means it's going to have an impact on our motivation, and it means we have to have an understanding for the magnitude of the task. If our motivation is not appropriate, then our efforts in discipleship might be self-serving. I've got a uh, clip from Calvin and Hobbes up here, and this is one of my favorite comics, where they're trying to think of a name for their, their secret club, right? And Hobbes says, let's call it, I love how Bill Watterson draws him, but let's call it the Hobbes fan club, right? And Calvin obviously thinks that's ridiculous. We're not trying to create the J.T. Gill fan club here, or the Matthew Nicosia fan club. That's not what it's about. It's about Jesus' 
following. Our motivation has to be aligned appropriately for that to happen. And we have to have an understanding for the magnitude of the task. To understand the, the scale on which we're operating here, I, I think you have to really study what Jesus is talking about when he says the harvest. Now, he's speaking metaphorically as it applies to people. But how do you harvest people? I mean, what are, if we spin that out, what, what are the ultimate implications of what he's talking about? And uh, he actually explains it later in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 13. So uh, if you want to turn there, I'll have it up on the screen as well. But we're going to use Scripture to interpret Scripture a little bit here. Jesus tells a parable, which I'll read, and then he explains it. So the, the parable is this. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So we've got this parable about the harvest. A few verses later, Matthew chapter 13, then he explains it. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Whoa. Jesus is talking about judgment day, right? When he will call the sheep to himself or gather the harvest, as it says here, and what happens to the weeds or the, the tares? They'll be burned. The righteous will be brought into the barn. Well, that's what the harvest is, but the lawbreakers sin. There's a judgment that goes along there. We have to have an understanding for the magnitude of this task because for those who do not believe, for those who are not followers of Christ, there is coming judgment. You have to understand the weight, the severity of this calling. However, there's a problem. Jesus lays it out when he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Basically, we've got a big job and we don't have a lot of people to do it. I had this the other day. I went to help a friend move. And uh, there was a whole bunch of stuff. And I was like, all right, great. Who else is coming? And he was like, it's just you and me. I was like, what? That looks like a lot of furniture. <laughs> Are you sure? Nobody else is coming? I can text somebody. <laughs> we need more people to get the job done. We need more disciples, right? More people to share the good news of this gospel. 
This message is life-changing. And when we think about how the good news gets out, there's a responsibility for how we do that. This is not a numbers game, but as our good friend Matt Rumbaugh always says, the sign of maturity is reproduction. It's a, it's a game of quality. We want to make disciples. We want to make Christ followers. But here's what I love. I heard another, this said at another church. Uh, we want to be disciple-making disciples. When you are a disciple, you will make disciples. So there is a natural recurrence that happens here when you go about this job correctly. So, how do we do so? What's the solution, if you will? Or as Pastor Matthew would say, what does this mean for Monday? How do we take these words and apply them to my everyday situation at my job, my family, wherever God has you? Jesus lays it out pretty clearly for us in verse 38. He says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So first point of application, pray. Jesus says to pray. And the original Greek word here, pray earnestly, that's the idea of begging or pleading with God. It's a slightly different situation, but I I had this experience earlier this year. Uh, My brother and his wife were pregnant. And um, long story short, there was a host of complications with the pregnancy. And uh, she was, they were basically told it, it is unlikely that she will live, your daughter will live. And I remember, I think it was late February, the family, we got the text uh, basically saying, this is what the doctors have said, will you please pray with us? And I remember driving into work, it's probably the most emotional commute into my job that I've ever had, and I, I just begged God, pleaded with him to spare my niece's life. And he did, and and she's alive, and she's doing great now. It's a miracle that that she is alive. Um, So, yeah, praise God. Praise God for that. But that's this idea that Jesus is talking about, pleading with Christ. When was the last time you begged God for something? That's the attitude that we're supposed to have, that Jesus gives us when it comes to making disciples. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Second point of application, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to what? Send. Send out laborers into his harvest. When we talk about sending, I don't think we can really have an appropriate appreciation for what that actually means unless we are willing to go. So the second point here is go. We have to be willing to get out there to go. And that, that has a couple of implications. The first of which is identify your people. That's what we look to Jesus' example. That's what he did, right? He targeted a select few. We've got 12 apostles that he's pouring into. Those are his people. Maybe it's not 12 for you. Maybe it's just one right now or a couple. But whoever that person is, identify them. Catch them in the morning when they're fishing and tell them, follow me, right? Let me tell you about this Jesus because he changed my life and he can change yours as well. Uh, For me, it's a few guys right now. There's a few guys at work that we're doing a Bible study with. We're going through the book of Matthew, so this is an appropriate message. Uh, Roman is in my small group. We meet at Cracker Barrel on Saturday mornings. Uh, And uh, Logan and I, we're about to start doing the same thing. We're about to start meeting as well. But whoever your people are, identify them. There's a focus. There's a targeted view. 
when it comes to discipleship. Second, get on their turf. We say this every Sunday. We love Christ and we what? Live sent. But what does that actually mean? It doesn't necessarily mean you have to move across the world to Ukraine or Japan, but it does mean that, remember, like we said earlier, you're proactive where you are. In our community, in our world, we just had uh, Go Beyond last week, which is pretty cool, right? That proactiveness within the community. But whoever your people are, your targeted few, uh, focus on them and get on their level. For Jesus, that meant traveling all over the place with these 12 guys that he had handpicked. For Paul, that meant some lengthy missionary journeys. Uh, for, for us, it might be just a few guys at work. And we're just reading the Bible together. Live sent where you are, but also listen to the call. We have to be willing to go if we're calling for Jesus to send. Right? Jesus might call you to move to Japan or across the world, somewhere else. You have to be willing to accept that message and live it out. Third point, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. So the application is this, work. You've got to be willing to work, to go to work. Pretty broad term here, uh, so I'll boil it down to a, a few key tenets. First of all, work means you are actively doing life with someone to help train them in the truth and the teaching of this book right here, of the Bible. And if you're really not sure what that actually looks like, I'll, <laughs> I've got a lightning round here for you, multiple passages of Scripture. First of all, Ephesians 6.4, fathers train your children. You got kids? Start there. Super easy targets. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit. They're in your house. So easy to train your children. You're already with them every single day. Maybe, maybe you're, you're not a parent. Maybe uh, you're an older woman. Titus 2.4. Older women are to train younger women. Catch that young lady and take her out to the mall. Get a drink together at the food court. I, I don't know. Whatever. But read the word together. Right? Maybe you're just a single guy. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul says to Timothy, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses in trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Maybe you feel like you're not qualified to disciple somebody else. Like you need to grow more in your own walk before you get out and you start showing somebody else how to live by the teachings of Jesus' word. And to you, I would say 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. Are you an infant in Christ? You need milk right now, you're not ready for solid food. Your responsibility might be to find somebody else and ask them to disciple you. Interestingly, interestingly enough, in, in Hebrew culture, that was actually the traditional model for the way this worked. Young men would find a rabbi, they would follow him around, and they would say, you disciple us. Jesus is the one who kind of turns it on its head a little bit, and he actually goes out and finds his apostles and says, you follow me. The point here is this, wherever you are in your walk with Christ, there's no excuse for sitting on the sideline. 
Whether you're discipling somebody else or whether you're seeking out somebody to disciple you, we don't just stagnate, right? We seek that out. There's that proactive nature to it. One little aside that I want to make, and this is sobering, but I do think it's important. Disciple-making or work means you are faithful. It does not mean you are responsible for outcomes. And that is really important to understand. I have, unfortunately, a tragic, heartbreaking example of this in, in my own life. A few years ago, uh, I was meeting with this other guy, and he was dealing with some pretty significant issues. And I, we were faithful. I mean, we met every single Sunday for the better part of a year. And um, he moved away, and uh, a year later, I, I got word that he took his own life. How do you reconcile that? I mean, we were faithful every single Sunday. We read the word together. That purposeful disciple-making was happening, and that's the outcome. Again, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, what is Apollos really, or what is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, and each of us in the ministry the Lord gave us. I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused it to grow. God is the one who causes the growth. He is the one responsible for outcomes. Your job is to be faithful. And finally, I'll, I'll close with this. Remember your story. When you, you're getting ready to work, remember your story. Because your story of how God changed you in your life is probably the most effective, powerful tool you have when it comes to discipling others. In church, I think a lot of times we can use Christianese uh, where we say words like gospel and testimony, and I'll, I'll just boil it down to very simple terms. What happened to you when you said that you believed in Jesus? What is that natural arc of your own story? Because at one point, we were all lost. We were all on the fringe, lost, alone, blind, and then Jesus came, and he changed that. He changed it for me, and he changed it for you. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Never forget where you came from, because God worked in your life, and as your only natural response from that is an outpouring of love and gratitude, and I want to share that with somebody else. I know where I was, and I know how God changed me, and I want other people to experience the same thing, that motivation that we talked about. I'm sure many, if not all of you, are familiar with the lyrics to the hymn, Amazing Grace, specifically, um, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. John Newton wrote that song in 1779, and um, I was researching John Newton and reading about his story, and I knew some of it, but I, I didn't know all of it. And when I read it, it kind of changed how I viewed these words. I won't share the whole thing, but uh, there's a couple of the highlights here. John Newton's mother died when he was seven years old. At age 18, he was forcefully conscripted into naval service. Sometime after that, he tried to desert 
and he was flogged with 96 lashes before the entire crew and was demoted to the lowest rank aboard the ship, basically totally humiliated. Uh, his response to that was he had a plan. He was going to kill the captain of the ship, and then he was going to take his own life. Through a series of events, he was actually able to transfer to a different ship instead. That ship, captain of that ship, sold him into slavery in West Africa, where he was abused and mistreated for years before finally being rescued at the age of 23. After that, I think this is maybe the most heartbreaking part, his response after that was he worked as a slave trader himself for nine years before finally truly coming to Christ, after which he became a priest and an abolitionist, and he wrote that hymn that we sing today. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. When you hear the personal details behind those lyrics, I think it changes how you view them. We're going to sing this song here in a second. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. We're going to sing this song here in a second. But as we do, I want you to think about your own personal story. How were you lost? And where are you now being found? Were you blind and now you can see? Or maybe you feel like that's where you are today. And you want to know how you can be found, how you can see again. And if that's true, come grab me after service. We're going to have people up here who can pray for you. We're going to have folks out in the lobby. Grab somebody and ask them, how do I become a follower of this Jesus? Because when you do, your only response is to then want to share that with others, to go and make disciples. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your finished work on the cross, what that means to each one of us this morning and for the rest of our lives. Lord, I pray if there is anyone here who is wondering how they can become a follower of Jesus, that they would seek the truth of your message, of your gospel. Lord, you are good and we behold your glory and your goodness, and we want to respond in kind. We want to go and make disciples like you tell us to do in your word. Father, as we sing this song, I pray that we would reflect on where we were and where we are now. We would behold the truth of your gospel your goodness. We pray these things in your name.